0: Some of the uh, most intimidating moments of being a pastor is moments after, during worship, where you have to follow uh, the Spirit moving, and you're like, I just don't want to mess that up. Uh, And so, I approached this morning in fear of messing up a really good morning so far. Uh, So, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to the uh, Gospel of Matthew. Uh, We'll be in the twenty. Second chapter uh, we have so far in chapters 21 and 22 uh, we've we've witnessed Jesus do some some important things and efforts to make himself be put on display as our savior king that's what when we come back and say what are those chapters about uh, we say it's about Jesus being seen very specifically as our Savior King and, and the backdrop of these actions Are uh, we, we find ourselves In the final week of his life Now now we are taking A considerable amount of time Walking through this final week uh, In fact we still have almost uh, I think about 21-22 weeks Before we get to the end of Matthew uh, And we have This is I think week 7 Of uh, the final week And I don't believe we've even arrived To Wednesday yet uh, and so, uh, but but what we get to see is this backdrop of the final week of Jesus' life before uh, he is arrested in the garden, before he is put on trial, before he goes to the cross, but before that he is actually flogged and beaten, and uh, but he ends up on the cross where he sacrifices himself for you and for me, uh, so that we can have a right and a restored relationship uh, with the Father, and then we get to celebrate as he comes back to life, but... But again, I think it's important that we would walk together through these scenes so that when we walk away, we can have a clear picture of, of who Jesus is and what He has done for us. And these scenes, hopefully, help grow our affection for Christ while also clarifying uh, the directions that our hearts should be leaning. And And during this final week, Jesus is speaking very sternly uh, and very uh, directly at uh, the religious leaders as the Jewish religion leaders as uh, as he confronts their empty religion. They, they've all uh, have the looks of a person who is following God, but but their hearts are very far from Him. And what, God's, what Jesus tells them is, like, is that, okay, it looks like the matter of your living. It looks like the, the rhythm of your life is glorifying to God, but let's just cut through all of that and realize what you're trying to do is glorify yourselves. Uh, you're trying to take advantage of others for your benefit, but you're hiding God. Uh, you're hiding yourself behind this guise that, that is all for God. And, and He'll state that the evidence of their sinfulness... Uh, is revealed in the fruit of their lives and and which we take note of and we ask the Holy Spirit to work through us and to reveal to us the kind of fruits that's coming out. Uh, and And I think it's, it's very uh, important for us to be going through this process even slowly uh, and for some painfully uh, as, as God reveals, hey, there are parts of your life where you look a lot like those guys and... And I think uh, if we're very serious, uh, if we're not careful, we will not understand the serious circumstances for, for empty spirituality. And Jesus reveals and clarifies this so that we can repent, so that we can walk in the full light of the gospel. And the structure that we've seen is uh, is, is, is three uh, signs that Jesus performs showing us that he is our Savior King, uh, three parables that Jesus teaches uh, to refute empty religion. And then what we're going to see over the next two weeks are, are three questions that are brought to Jesus about who He is. And really what we're going to find is these three questions are all traps uh, as people are trying to uh, convict Jesus or to back Jesus into a corner. Uh, but really what, what these three questions will do uh, over the next two weeks is set up a fourth question uh, that Jesus is going to ask us. Uh, and so uh, I, I preface that to say uh, there, there isn't a cohesive ending to this morning. Uh, we're going to walk through two scenes as a setup uh, for the next week. Now that's not to say we won't get to see and hear much from the heart of God uh, in these two. But really what we're finding is Jesus is going to lead us to a vital question at the end of our time next week. So uh, if you don't show up next week, you're going to miss out. Uh, and so let's let's pray, and then we'll dive into our our passages. Father, we come to you, and we are just so very thankful that your spirit is here, that your spirit is speaking, that 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 he knows best what we need to deal with this morning. And so Father, I pray we would get out of his way. I pray that my words would get out of his way. I pray that our ears would get out of his way and that we would experience your incredible love for us in Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Alright, so just for some context, previously on Merge on Sundays, let's, let's give this rundown. Uh, Jesus has just finished giving the parable of the wedding feast, which we spoke of uh, last week. And it's the third parable that he gives the chief priests and the elders. And we have to remember that they have interrupted him. Uh, Jesus is in the temple teaching and these guys walk in and they interrupt Christ and they say, Hey, whose authority are you teaching and doing these things through? Uh, And that's when Jesus kind of steps in and gives them those three parables. And so so these two scenes that we're going to see this morning are a continuation of what's been already happening. And this is where we find ourselves in the first scene. Uh, Chapter 22, uh, go all the way to verse 15. Uh, Barak, if you're looking for 15, it's right after 14. Okay? Uh, You looked lost. So, alright. So here's what it says. Then the Pharisees, okay? So let's underline that group right there. Then the Pharisees uh, went and plotted how to entangle him, being Jesus. One of the things I like to do in my Bible when I'm uh, trying to signify hymns uh, and I want to make sure I know which hymn I'm talking about, uh, when it comes to Jesus, I like to underline it. And at the end of that, put a little cross at the end. Okay? So, so they went out and they plotted how to entangle him and his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians. Okay? So, this is a different, another group. You can underline that. Uh, saying this, Teacher, we know that you are true. And you teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion for you are not swayed by appearances. Okay, you want to talk about buttering a person up, right? Hey, let us let us give you all these compliments uh, that we know uh, through the course of our time with this group of people. They do not believe this about Jesus. Tell us then what you think. And here's the question: you can you can go ahead and square this. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's the question on the table. But Jesus, aware of his, their malice, which I love, right? He sniffs it out, uh, which it's already pretty thick, so it's not it doesn't seem to be that hard. He said this, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And it says, And they brought him a denarius, which is roughly the equivalent of a penny. All right? So they're like, Hey, check your pockets, find the cheapest thing. Right? Nobody hands the magician the dollar, right? It's all, I mean, the $100 bill It's always the $1 bill. So they handed him a denarius, and Jesus said to them, "Whose likeness and inscription is this?" And they said, "Well, it's Caesar's." And then he said to them, and a lot of us have heard this verse before in the past, right? Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And then it says in verse 22, when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him, and they they went away. Okay, so so here's the trap, the the Pharisees. Uh, they want to entangle Christ in this trap and they, they intend to back him into a verbal corner so uh, and, and really either response he gives is going to upset a significant portion of a people group. Uh, for instance, uh, they, they come in, butter them up uh, and they say okay, taxes. let's talk about that right? Uh, is, it, is it lawful that we would have to pay taxes and uh, and, and so I told you there's two specific groups of people here. There's the Pharisees and, uh, Pharisees and the Herodians. Okay? Now, if you don't know much about uh, the, the culture back then, these are two people who did not see eye to eye. Uh, in fact, they were, they were two enemies that have found a common enemy. Uh, the Pharisees were loyal to the nation of Israel. Uh, they believed in the Old Testament promises of God. Uh, and, and what they hated was the fact that at the time, Rome was occupying their nation. So they were a people who weren't in control of themselves. So, so the Pharisees were loyal to the Israelites, while the Herodians were loyal to King Herod, which is exactly how you get the term Herodians. Okay? Uh, Herod is a Jewish governor or a king uh, who is a lackey under Roman control. Uh, and so the Herodians believed in uh, Herod and they followed Herod who was under the, the control of Rome uh, while the Pharisees were like, no, 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 we should have our own people, our own place. And so this is a very politically charged uh, moment that they're bringing before Jesus. And, and so, uh, so if he says, okay, yes, you should pay the taxes, then all of a sudden he's a Jewish traitor. Uh, and the people would respond and they would say, no, no, I thought you were for us, but clearly you were not because you were supporting Rome. Uh, and if he comes out and he says, well, no, no, we don't pay that tax, uh, then all of a sudden it backs him into this corner where if he says, don't pay the tax, then he's a revolutionary uh, who draws the attention of the Romans. And so Jesus, uh, knowing the malice of this question, answers it, but he doesn't answer it in the way they expect it because what, what they expect is to back him into a corner where where he either gives us like three simple steps of how the church and state uh, work together, uh, but he, he doesn't do that. And so, uh, what what he does as the tension is mounting, he says, show me show me the coin for tax. He says, show me which one. And so he says, you know, whose likeness is on it? And they say, well, it's, it's Caesar's, which I'm sure it looked just like him uh, back in the day. Uh, and so, And so he says this. He says, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And if it had stopped right there, the Pharisees would have won the day. Right? They would have backed him into that corner and then, you know, the the Jewish people would no longer follow him, which is really the issue. Because they're noticing all of these people who are starting to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. The same people who, as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, they're laying down palm branches and they're saying Hosanna in the highest uh, this is the son of David this is our Messiah this is the one we've been waiting for this is our king and that's a problem for people who have hoarded all of the power and have had all of the control and so but but he doesn't stop there does he he says render unto Caesar what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. And so the question is, okay, so has he told us that there are two different things? No, no, no. What he does here is it's actually it's absolutely brilliant because he says, okay, in, in answering this way, he says, think about it. What does God have? All of it, right? Everything. So what does Caesar have? Stuff. He has control. He has some power. He has some resources. But underneath the authority of Caesar, I mean over top the authority of Caesar is God. That he encompasses it it all. And so he's looking at him and he says, Think think about this for a moment. Render the things to God that belong to God. And everything belongs to God. Caesar belongs to God. All the things that belong to Caesar belong to God. All the rights that he has belongs to to God, And so there's, there's a couple of implications that we get to pull from this. That The first one is that everything that Caesar has is given to him by the rightful authority of God. Whether you like Caesar or not, that authority has been granted by God. That permission to be the leader has been granted by God. In fact, there's this beautiful moment in the book of Daniel uh, where King Nebuchadnezzar is standing on top of this palace, uh, and he's looking at all that he has conquered. Uh, he's looking at his whole land. I've always, Again, I, I think I say this every single time. I think of it as like boss hog from Dukes of Hazzards. Uh, that he's sitting on top and he's got his thumbs in his suspenders. And he's like, look what I got, you know. Uh, and God comes in and he says, hey, you need to be careful about this, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, because, because this authority that you have is given by God. It says that, that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of man. And he gives them to whomever he wishes. Now, there are times he does it as a blessing to his people, and there are times he does it as a curse to his people. Okay, Because the pursuit has always been about our heart for God. Okay, And so, so he says, that I will give you over to yourselves at times, Okay, and I will bless you and protect you for the glory of my name. It's always about rendering our hearts to the Father. That's the way this has always worked. Okay, So what, what I find really interesting is how we live in a society right now, especially in a nation right now, where half the people believe we are under the curse of God and other, the other half believe we are on uh, the blessing of God, depending on which way we voted. Right? I'm getting, no? It's just me? Alright. Hard truths today uh, here at Merge. Um, so, 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 here's the, the implication is this, that, that everything that Caesar has and all the authority that he has has been granted to him by God. Like it or lump it. God has allowed that. And this is what Jesus says. You give, you give that too. You render to Caesar what is Caesar's because God has given all of that. The second implication is this, that Caesar's sphere of influence is severely limited. Okay? Though it looks like it's authoritative, it's very limited uh, because God is in control of all of that. In fact, there's a moment here in a couple weeks uh, where Jesus will be on trial and he will be sent... Uh, to Pontius Pilate and Pilate will look at him as Jesus doesn't respond to any of the accusations and Pilate will look at him and say don't you know that that I can release you that I have that I have the authority to let you go free and Jesus looks at him and he says you just think you have the authority God is the one that, that grants that and and so so he says, Caesar, in all of his lackeys, the entire state of every nation, of every planet, has the authority that it has only under the sovereignty uh, of God. And, and so and then the third implication is this, that, that all of our submission to Caesar is shaped by the fact that, that God always owns it all. Always owns it all. In fact, Romans 13 spends a considerable amount of time talking about how the Christian submits to governing agents. Uh, especially on our land, but but our submission to any government is always shaped by the fact that, that God owns it. Uh, so we submit for the Lord's sake. So 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 the phrase for the Lord's sake is this banner uh, uh, over all submission to a, to human authority. And and so we Christians we, we are called. In fact, we are instructed to that, to be humble people to be submissive people uh, that we should we should do things like, like keep the speed limit and if we're kids we should do things like honor our parents and if we're church members we, we honor the, the leadership of the church and if we're spouses we, we, should, we should work in, commun- in, in union with our spouses and we should submit where we're supposed to submit and we're to sacrifice where we're called to sacrifice if we're employees we should, we should get to work on time and you're like ugh that's hard I don't like waking up in the morning. No, you should set an example by being the very best employee in your office place that, that you shouldn't fudge on your numbers and you shouldn't steal the stapler and you should you should do the things that your boss expects you to do because we are a people who submit, but we don't submit on the authority that humans claim over us. We do it for the Lord's sake. So, so I render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and I ask, and when Caesar asks, why are you doing this? You say, it's not because you're that great. I do it because I submit to the Lord first. And and I will always say any of my allegiance is because I have an authority that is over you. I have an authority. Our, our submission to Caesar, to Caesar uh, is rebellious as soon as Caesar decides he's going to be God. Uh, it takes us back to this moment in the book of Acts where... Uh, James and, and John and Peter are, are proclaiming the gospel, and, and the church really doesn't know. The Jewish church doesn't know what to do about that, and so they lock them up, and they don't really have any charge to bring against them. And so their solution is say, "Hey, um, yeah, you could just stop talking about Jesus. We'd appreciate that." And they say, "We, we can't, we can't do that. Because that's what that's what God has told us to do. So we will submit to the authority of God." over the authority of man and anytime man decides he wants to work outside the authority of god then i no longer have to submit in that realm and so so this is this is what he's saying that that christians are law-abiding people right i know that sounds like a novel idea like "Mm, maybe i should start obeying the law today right uh we, we pay our taxes we we don't um we drive the speed limit within relativity i mean gosh if nobody's there, then really, are you breaking the speed limit? Uh, yes, I think that's the answer. We, we're good neighbors. we keep our grass cut, you know, We don't have parties that are too loud. Uh, we don't try to have the cops called on us, you know, uh, but we, we never render to an authority any authority under God our absolute allegiance. I, I pledge allegiance to the flag United States of America up to the point. But my authority with God is first and foremost. Um, and so we never give unlimited, unconditional obedience. We never say, I submit to you because you are my final authority. We always do it for Christ's sake. Because what we've been called to be as Christians are representatives of Christ. We make him known. And so, so that's 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 that scene. You know, and it seems like a really good trap that doesn't work. Like he foils their plot. Uh, and so so that, that scene ends. We render to Caesar what is Caesar's end and to God what is God's. And so let's go to scene two. Uh, where, where Scene one was a political question. Uh, scene two is going to be a doctrinal one. Uh, it's going to be a question on theology. So verse 23, that same day, okay, so, so what day? Same day. So just moments later, all right? Sadducees, so now we have a third group of people showing up. Uh, they came to him and who say that there is no resurrection. That's going to become very pertinent here in just a moment. Uh, they say there's no resurrection. There is no coming back from the grave. Uh, that God will not re- res- resurrect us. And they asked him a question saying this. Teacher, okay, Moses said... Okay, now, Moses is a big deal. They love Moses. In fact, the Pharisees, uh, they believe Moses is their final authority. Uh, they believe in the first five books of the Bible only Uh, the Pentateuch Pentateuch, Pentateuch, thank you Chris for correcting me I was really saying it wrong to see if you were smart Um, the Pentateuch they believed in those five books only Okay, so they come in and they say hey listen our guy Moses he said this he said if a man dies having no children his brother must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother okay are you with there Man dies, no children. All of a sudden, little brother has to step up to the plate. All right? Now, there were... Se- I'm sorry. Uh no, no, no. There were seven brothers among us. Okay? The first married and died. And having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too, the second and the third down to the seventh. I'm just being honest. I think we have a black widow situation going on. Okay? i don't i don't know what kind of dirt bags this this family brought but I, she might have killed them all um so this goes all the way down to the seventh and after i have no proof of that by the way i just think it's interesting uh, after them the woman died okay so she outlives seven of her husbands okay in the resurrection therefore of the seven whose wife will she be for they all had her Okay? this is a, this is a pertinent question all right? in fact if you're married today this is a question that you've at least entertained in your mind what will heaven be like and i'm just gonna i'm just going give you a heads up verse 30 is going to happen and it's going to ruffle some feathers all right it's not going to sit pretty but jesus answered them you're wrong you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of god okay? that's that's what we call an indictment for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. We'll, we'll get to 30, okay? Don't worry about that. We're going to put a pin in it. We're coming right back to it. And as for the resurrection of the dead, okay? God has promised this, and this is a key component, because as Jesus has died, He says, Listen, I'm dying, but God's raising me back in three days. It's imperative that Jesus would come back to life, because if He just dies for our sins... We die technically forgiven, but still spiritually dead. Okay? So this resurrection is key to us. Because once he's resurrected, now we have access to be alive in Christ, alive with God. So he says this, um, For the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? And this is, man, gosh, Jesus is just prodding, just poking at him. Because these people memorized those first five books. Okay? The first five books of your Bible, memorize them, and that's what the Pharisees did. Then he says, You don't know those scriptures. You have not read what is said to you by God when God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He says, He is, he is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. It's amazing to me that the crowd has responded. In in marvel and astonishment, okay, as Jesus confronts these people, and so 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 here we have this third group, the Sadducees. Uh, They they competed with the Pharisees. They were the Sadducees are kind of like the snooty ones. Okay, Uh, they they thought of themselves as better than everyone else. Uh, They did not like the common man. Uh, They were not fans of most of the Jewish people, Uh, and so and they are in cahoots with with the Romans. Uh, and so, but but one of their firm beliefs was that this is it. That when you die, there is no resurrection of the dead. And so, so what what happened out of that belief was this. Let's try to make it happen now. Let's try to fulfill all these desires within reason. Uh, let's try to accumulate as many treasures as we can, uh, and then so if we need to take advantage of our people, that's fine. You know, because this is this is the end of it all for us, and and so so their largest dysfunction, though, was was that they tried to fit God into their own mold of reasoning. Okay, which I'm sure we've never done before, right? You've never tried to fit God into your own justifications uh, or or your own reasoning. And the irony of their question is the fact that 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 re- they're asking a question regarding the matter of resurrection, which they don't actually believe to be. True, which is typically a good indication that this is a trap, right? Uh, and so, so their question surrounds this instruction that we find in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 25, where it was an actual practice, an actual uh, commitment of the people uh, that that the brother-in-law would fill the gap if the brother dies, and so uh, because mainly there had to be an heir to the family, uh, there was an inheritance. Uh, and that has to be passed on from generation to generation. And so the Sadducees base their disbelief on the resurrection that, that a woman can't have seven husbands, uh, especially in heaven. They say hey, it doesn't work that way. Logically, this doesn't work. You can't have seven husbands in heaven. I mean, uh, and so, I'm sorry, there's a lot of in, inappropriate jokes I was going to try to insert there, just not going to. Uh, I know, Misty would be proud. Because uh, it was going to be really embarrassing for myself, um, and so, so, so this is part of of their dysfunction is that they they conceive, and this is part of ours too. Okay, and I'm just gonna be honest. When you think about heaven, one of the most difficult things I've faced in my own life is is I think of heaven as an extension of what I'm currently experiencing now. You with? So all the things I enjoy doing now, I think, man, I bet you that's going to be great in heaven. Right? Oh, man. We're going to play golf in heaven? I'm going to be able to dunk in heaven? Right? Oh, no? God's still me like, hey, yeah. Yeah. Any, anything but that is impossible. You know, But I mean, I'm going to have all my friends in heaven. And Jesus comes in and he says, okay, And I don't think it's I don't think it's our fault. I think we have this very limited imagination, and we find things when, when, for instance, we're going to talk about the angels in a second. We find that that God creates angels, and it's almost unimaginable until He explains what they look like, right? Isaiah six portrays these angels as seraphim, and it says they have six six wings. Like, who would how would you imagine that case to be made, right? And so so we see uh, in the revelation the book of revelation these angels that you say that have many eyes and it's all this really bizarre bizarre to us but very common to the creation of God right and so so we we have this expectation of what it's going to look like and Jesus comes in and says you can't imagine it you can't imagine it and so the question on the table was simply this uh, and this is where we kind of get in some trouble, uh, is, is, is Jesus is going to bring up the subject of angels and marriage in verse 30. And it immediately presses us. And it starts to build some tension about some of our expectations. Okay, We're going to deal with angels first um, because the marriage one might be a more difficult pill to swallow. Uh, for some. Some of you might be like, oh, thank God. Okay, But we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there, all right. So, so here we go. So he says this: for in the resurrection, this is verse thirty. For in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. If you like to write up in your Bible, let's let's square that word "like." Okay, they are like angels in heaven. So let's let's deal with that point first. Right. Jesus says, in the resurrection, we will be like angels. in in heaven, what he doesn't say is that we will become angels. Okay, so so angels are created beings created for great purpose. Okay, much like humans are created beings created for great purpose, but those purposes are not exclusively unique. Okay, uh, our job tasks are not um, exactly the same. So so when we die. Uh, we don't become an angel where we start to level up uh, like Clarence in the It's a Wonderful Life. You know, we're not trying to work hard in heaven so that we can get our wings, right? It, do- it doesn't work that way. Great movie, not theologically sound. Just just the heads up. I've just ruined Christmas for everyone, right? So that's that's not the way it works. We don't level up into becoming... Angels, and, and then we especially don't come down to earth to watch over our loved ones. Okay? Um, I hate to say that to you, um, but your grandma's not sitting beside you right now. Uh, that that if She's in heaven. You know, she's in heaven. And, and in all honesty, best from what I can read in the Bible, you are not even an afterthought. Because she is in the presence of God. And she gets him. Not, not just like 18 holes of pristine grass to play golf on and him you get him and that's more than enough you get to see the splendor and the majesty of God and you say I'm full a cup overflows And so, so that's not the way it works as we read the Bible we see angels have a purpose much like man, mankind does in relation to how we respond to God Okay, so does that, does that make sense uh, you might not believe it, but do you understand the words that I said? Uh, that, that that you don't turn into an angel, and that's great news because we would all look really dumb in diapers. Alright? That's the precious moments, babies. If You know what I'm saying. Alright? Some of you are like, well, I'm working the body of one, but wouldn't work, you know. Okay, so here we go. Second point. Let's talk about marriage. Okay, let's, let's talk about marriage. I have some really close friends that they do not like this concept, and they loathe the verse. Uh, and as we talk about marriage, the question is, which of the seven brothers will she be married to in heaven? Okay, so this is a widow, and let's. My heart this week has been wrapped around not really that she's the black widow, but but imagine the, the sorrow this woman must have felt to have seven of her husbands pass. Uh, she grieved for each one of them, uh, and so, so it gives us this expectation that that in heaven our spouses will be waiting for us on benches like men at malls do holding their wives purses right uh that's the idea in fact i've been at many wedding uh, many funerals i should say where that's the that's what is spoken of like oh well he'll just be waiting for her at the pearly gates you know Uh, and i'm like what an incredibly horrendous use of your time in heaven uh, to be waiting in the waiting room, okay? I'm just being honest with you. I've talked to Missy about this, and she said, it's cool. She doesn't want to wait for me either. Uh, and so and so we're both cool with this, okay? But, but the idea of like, hey, I'm not going into the gate until she does indicates something really specific about the idolatry in our lives. All right? Let's just let that rest over us for a moment. It says something very, very particular about our idolatry and who we believe brings us our ultimate fulfillment. And if it's your spouse and you tell God, hey, wait a minute, I gotta, we got to go in holding hands together because we're ending off a pretty epic run of romance, okay? We've, we've missed it. We've missed it all together. Because your spouse is never, was never designed to complete you, never once. Your spouse is designed to be your companion. In fact, let's, let's talk about that for a minute. I, I believe that Jesus' point is that when we think about marriage in this light, we minimize the union we share with God in heaven. Uh, that, that He tells us that, that we neither marry nor are given in marriage. Uh, and, and so let's, let's talk about what God says about marriage. Let's talk about why he put man and woman together. In the garden, there's a whole bunch of good things. <laughs> At the end of every day, God's creating, and he says, that's good. That's good. I love that. Love that. Love that. Love that. He makes man. He says, that's good. And then he realizes, not realizes, uh, he's noticing in Adam that it's not good for him to be alone. So out of God's great love for man, he creates woman. Out of his rib, he breathes life into Eve. And he gives a companion to him. In fact, before he does that, one of the most remarkable things is he brings all of creation before Adam. And they're naming the animals. Just naming them. Naming all the creation. And he does this so that Adam will know, there's nobody fitting for me. I don't have a companion in this journey. And so so he names all of them, and then out of that he creates woman, and all of a sudden it was good again. that that we are created for intimate relationship. So so he creates that. But and God puts that together. In fact, you've been in weddings, right? Where we read the verses that where God has brought two together, let no man tear asunder, you know. Um, and so God ordains marriage and he blesses it. And he says, When you are in covenant with me and your spouse, something beautiful happens. And then we go like almost all the way to the end of the Bible. In this book of Ephesians. And Paul says, let's talk about marriage. Let's talk about why it's significant. Why it's important. And in chapter 5 of Ephesians, he starts it with talking about being imitators of God. He says that you imitate God with how you act, how you treat people. And then he says, let's talk specifically about husbands and wives. And in it, he says, "He says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. And, and in it, he says, husbands sacrifice yourselves for your wives. And then he gets to the end of this chapter and he teaches us something so beautiful. He goes, if you think your marriage is about you, you've missed it. If you think your marriage is about how you feel, about what you get, what you're not getting, you've misunderstood the the whole premise of why God has ordained marriage. He says marriage is very singular in its intent. It's a picture. It's a snapshot of Christ and the church. That that marriage is about the gospel. So now, here we are. Okay, let's paint this picture. This is kind of what I what I believe that 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 we are very lonely people, and God brings us a companion. Soulmate? No, I don't believe so. I don't believe God brings you a soulmate I believe God is we're going to be really corny for the moment Jesus is my soulmate um, don't make that into a t-shirt it's really embarrassing um, but he brings you a companion to adventure in the stories of God live together that there is one person we believe at a time You know, we believe that there is um, if you are a widow that, that there is Grounds for marrying again, you know. Luckily, you don't have to decide in heaven which one of the two you're going to shack up with, okay? But there was a time where we were incomplete, and then Jesus comes along and fills us. But we are being sanctified presently; He is working on us. So we have spouses now who help bring those things out in us, who help us adventure with God. And then we get to heaven where we are perfected eternally. So you're sanctified presently, perfected on that side of heaven, so you have no need because you're no longer alone because you get God. And so if I can just be blunt, not that I haven't been already, the concept of, oh my gosh, I don't know if I want heaven if I don't have my spouse with me that's very revealing. It's very revealing. And it's very dangerous. Because your idolatry is exposed. And you realize that it's not about them, it's about you. About what you want. About you not having these feelings of being alone. So here's what you get when you get to heaven. You get God. And then I believe so firmly... That everything else is unimaginable, unimaginable, the glory and the splendor of God. Now, now, a lot of people have that issue of like, ah, uh, you know, is heaven going to be like this church service? Because a lot of church services, I just want to run out of, you know, is that is that what's going to be like? Are we just going to do Amazing Grace all the time, you know? And if, if that's our expectation, we 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 completely missed the ball. That we, we get him. We'll start wrapping this up. Okay, thank God, right? We're finally. I told you, I told you, this isn't... We don't wrap up in this complete thought when people walk away and you say, hey, what did y'all talk about at church? You're like, oh, we talked about two things. They, they don't seem to be very connected, okay? They will be connected next week, okay? But, but for now, they're like two separate thoughts, right? <laughs> that, that we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's while understanding... That, that God is always over Caesar. There is not one entity, there is not one people group, there is not one authority that is over top God's authority. Okay, and this is what Jesus is saying. That you have a responsibility in this land to render unto the government what belongs to the government. It's part of living in society. But you don't do that because they have ultimate authority. You do that for the Lord's sake. And secondly, the truth of the resurrection gives us the hope of heaven. And this is this is why he says at the end of it. I'm sorry, I didn't even I just skipped that whole part, um, which we won't get back to. But this is, this is what he says. He goes, uh, "Have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. Uh, that He's not the God of the dead, but of." The living. So there's there's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in, in heaven right now. That he's the God of the living. So when we believe in the resurrection, we're believing in the promise of heaven, of things unimaginable that is yet to come. So let's let's allow that to sink in this week. Let it let Let it marinate as we think about our role in our society in regards to how we how we pray for and how we support our city and state and and nation leaders who God has put in authority regardless of your vote for them or against them. Let's let's think about the roles we play as we model and we model uh, as as we as we think about how our prayers need to be much more heaven-bound than they typically are. It's a strange thought, right? That we are eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus. That that's the time we live in. That Jesus could come back at any moment. And rarely do we find our prayers circling around, come Jesus, come. And much of the time is, Jesus, help me, Jesus, help me. That we have a promise from God who has never once misled us by the truth of His Word. Never once. And that He's the living God. That He is just as relevant today as He was when Jesus is talking. Hasn't lost an ounce of His power. Hasn't given up any ground of His authority. So that's where we fall. And then next week, Jesus is going to ask us a very penetrating question. Our desire this week is to love God. Bye. Please stand with me. As we wrap up, we want to make prayer available to you. If you need someone just to come alongside you, love on you, encourage you, pray with you, we want to do that. Uh, Troy and Jessica and Keith and Kim, they're going to be up here. Where they want to pray with you. Maybe you've never asked Jesus into your heart. Today is the day. I would encourage you not to leave this building without first at least talking with someone, praying with someone, taking that step. I love you guys. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful and we are mindful of your great love for us. We thank you that you've given us governments to to at times protect us and at times just, just allow us to be included in People who are hurt and lost and dying. And Father, I pray you would rise up the church to do the things that most of our society expects the government to do. I pray you would rise up in us an uh, eager determination for all acts of compassion. That we would own that for the glory of your name. We would steward our resources so that those who are lost and broken and hurting would find life in in Your Son. And Father, I thank You that You've given us the blessing of the institution of marriage. We thank You that You help us understand what covenantal uh, marriages look like. And and I pray so firmly that, that we wouldn't hold very loosely what that looks like in heaven. That You would whet our appetites That You would draw larger in our hearts a desire to see You and know You as our true treasure, as our true prize. That we would make much of You and we would make so little of us. Father, we thank You for Your Holy Spirit who gives us a glimpse of things yet to come. Who secures us in You. And we pray we would walk with Him this week. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.